For those of you who are here for the first time, this is The Read and Rant. And essentially what we do here is, is we commit a time every morning, every morning from 8 to 8.30. We just come together, we gather together, and we read the word. We spend half an hour, guys, just half an hour reading the word. And afterwards, if time affords, if you guys want to hang with us, you can hang with us. I spend another half hour kind of just ranting um, through scripture, uh, ranting about whatever the Lord is speaking into in that moment. That's why we call it the read and rant. We read and then we rant. But for half a Netflix episode every day, you can get through a lot of Bible. And for those of you who've journeyed with us over the past 12 weeks, we've gone from Matthew all the way to Revelation. We read the entire New Testament and ranted about a lot of it as well. Um, and now we are in the book of Genesis. So now we're starting with the Old Testament. And so on Friday, we started the book of Genesis, which was uh, just a time where we were just diving in. Uh, we're going deep dive here, but not in the sense of um, not in a Bible study perspective, but more in a meditational perspective. But I'm becoming aware, especially with the book of Genesis, that it's difficult to um, to give really I would say insight on an exhortive tone, like to, to exhort the scripture without at least giving some, uh, some doctrinal and biblical insight. And so it can come off a little bit Bible study. And I was wrestling with that and I'm dancing with that. How much of this is going to be Bible study and how much of it is just exhortation. But my, my goal is to leave this morning with a word, not, not just Bible study, but with a word. And then I'm going to devote some time for Bible study as well. I just know that Genesis, there are going to be some points where we're going to deal with difficult parts of the scripture. And I think it's in those difficult parts that, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of spend a little bit of time in a little bit, or at least what I want to do is give you some posture, uh, some, some perspective. So that way you're able to read it from the appropriate posture. Um, but what I want to do is, is I just want to engage you in the word. That's the most important thing. And we want to engage prayerfully with these three questions. What is God saying concerning himself? What is God saying concerning himself? That's the first question. The second question is, is what is God saying concerning people? What is God saying or revealing concerning people as we read the scriptures? And then lastly, what is God saying or revealing concerning me? For you, as you read this, what is God saying, speaking, or revealing concerning you? This is the posture that we want to take today as we read the scriptures. And so we're going to dig right in. We're going to look at uh, Genesis chapter um, 6. We're going to look at Genesis chapter 6. And, and we're going to read for till about 830 and then afterwards we'll rant. Okay. Um, but I'm going to pray. And that's what these are the, this is the prayer that I, I want to pray. And I want you to pray along with me. And I want to, I want you to read this word and to hear what the Lord is saying to you concerning those three, three questions. We're here to discover God and discover ourselves and discover ourselves through God. As we read these words, father, we ask that you would speak to us this morning. Lord, speak to us through your word. Lord, we are submitting ourselves to you. Your word is our food. Your word is spirit. Your word is food for our spirit. And so we pray, Lord, that you would reveal the truth of who you are. Give us clarity. Give us insight, Lord. Show us something new. Show us something new today, Father. Convict us, encourage us, empower us, strengthen us undergird us throughout this day, Lord, as we engage in your word and, and allow us to be built up in this word. And we say that in your name, we pray. Amen. Uh, Genesis chapter six, Genesis chapter six, it says this. Now it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful. And they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. And the Lord said, my spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. There were giants on the earth in those days. And also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore children to them, 
These were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. And the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he, he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. And Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, Japheth. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. Verse 13, And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and outside with pitch. And this is how you shall make it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, its width 50 cubits, and its height 30 cubits. You shall make a window for the ark and you shall finish it to a cubit from above. And set the door of the ark on its side, in its side. You shall make it with lower, second, and third decks. And behold, I myself am bringing floodwaters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh in which is the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you and you shall go into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And every living thing of all flesh you shall bring two of every sort into the ark and keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds after their kind, of animals after their kind, of every creeping thing of the earth after its kind. Two of every kind will come to you to keep them alive. And you shall take for yourself of all food that is eaten, and you shall gather it to yourself. And it shall be food for you and for them. Thus Noah did according to that, all that God commanded him, so he did. Then the Lord said to Noah, come into the ark, you and all your household, because I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. You shall take with you seven, each of every clean animal, a male and his female, two each of the animals, two, two each of animals that are unclean, a male and female. Also seven each of birds of the air, male and female, to keep the species alive on the face of all the earth. For after seven more days, I will cause it to rain on the earth, 40 days and 40 nights. And I will destroy from the face of the earth all living things that I have made. And Noah did according to all that the Lord commanded him. Noah was 600 years old when the floodwaters were on the earth. So Noah with his sons, his wife, and his sons' wives went into the ark because of the waters of the flood of clean animals, of animals that are unclean, of birds, and of everything that creeps on the earth. Two by two, they went into the ark to Noah, male and female, as the Lord God commanded Noah. And it came to pass after seven days that the waters of the flood were on the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep were broken up. And the windows of heaven were open, and rain was on the earth forty days and forty nights. On the very same day, Noah and Noah's sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Noah's wife, and the three wives of his sons with them entered the ark. They and every beast after its kind, all cattle after their kind, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth after its kind, every bird after its kind, every bird of every sort. And they went into the ark to Noah two by two and of all flesh in which is the breath of life. So that those entered male and female of all flesh went in as God commanded him. And the Lord shut him in. 
Now the flood was on the earth forty days, and the waters increased, lifted up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and greatly increased on the earth, and the ark moved above the surface of the waters. And the waters prevailed exceedingly on the earth, and all the high hills under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed fifteen cubits upward, and the mountains were covered. And all flesh died that moved on the earth. Birds and cattle and beasts of every creeping thing that creeps on the earth and every man, all in whose nostrils was the breath of the spirit of life, all that was on dry land died. So he destroyed all living things which were on the face of the ground, both man and cattle, creeping thing and bird of the air. They were destroyed from the earth. Only Noah and those who were with him in the ark remained alive. And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. Chapter 8. Then God remembered Noah and every living thing and all the animals that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind to pass over the earth. And the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the waters of heaven were also stopped. And the rain from the heavens were was restrained. And the waters receded continually from the earth. At the end of the 150 days, the waters decreased. And the ark rested in the seventh month, the 17th day of the month, on the mountains of Ararat. And the waters decreased continually until the 10th month. In the 10th month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. So it came to pass, at the end of 40 days, and Noah opened the window of the ark which he had made. Then he sent out a raven, which kept going to and fro until the waters had dried up from the earth. He also sent out for himself a dove to see if the waters had receded from the face of the ground. But the dove found no resting place for the sole of her foot. And she returned to the ark to him, for the waters were on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her and drew her into the ark to himself. So he waited another seven days. And again, he drove the dove out from the ark and the dove came to him in the evening and behold, a freshly plucked olive leaf was in her mouth and Noah knew that the waters had receded from the earth. So he waited yet another seven days and sent out the dove, which did not return to him anymore. And it came to pass in the seven, in the 601st year, in the first month, the first day of the month that the waters were dried up from the earth. And Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and indeed the surface of the ground was dry. And the seventh, sorry, and in the second month, on the twenty-seventh day of the month, the earth was dried. Then God spoke to Noah, saying, "Go out of the ark, you and your wife, and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing of all flesh that is with you, birds and cattle, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, so that they." may abound on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every animal, every creeping thing, every bird, and whatever creeps on the earth according to their families went out of the ark. Verse 20. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean animal and of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar, and the Lord smelled a soothing aroma. Then the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake. Although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night shall not cease. So God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be on every beast of the earth, on every bird of the air, on all that move on the earth, and on all the fish of the sea. They are given into your hand. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. I have given you all things, even as the green herbs. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. Surely for your lifeblood, I will remain a reckoning. 
From the hand of every beast, I will require it. And from the hand of man, from the hand of every man's brother, I will require the life of a man. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. And as for you, be fruitful and multiply. Bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply in it. Uh, Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, saying, And as for me, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the cattle, and every beast of the earth with you, of all that go out of the dark, every beast of the earth. Thus, I establish my covenant with you. Never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the sign of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. I set my rainbow in the cloud and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. It shall be when I bring a cloud over the earth that the rainbow shall be seen in the cloud. Now remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. The waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. The rainbow shall be in the cloud, and I will look on to look on in to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all the flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. Hmm. Now the sons of Noah went out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these the whole earth was populated. And Noah began to be a farmer, and he planted a vineyard. Then he drank of the wine and was drunk, and became uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father, and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on their shoulders. Sorry, verse 22. Let me read that one more time. Verse 22. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders and went backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned away, and they did not see their father's nakedness. So Noah awoke from his wine and knew that his younger son, what his younger son had done to him. Then he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants. He shall be to his brethren. And he said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and may Canaan be his servant. God may enlarge Japheth, and may he dwell in the tents of Shem. And may Canaan be his servant. Noah lived after the flood 350 years. So all the days of Noah were 950 years. And he died. We'll read one more chapter. Genesis 10. Now this is the genealogy of the sons of Noah. Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And sons were born to them after the flood. The sons of Japheth were Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Meshach, and Tyrus. The sons of Gomer were Ashkenaz, Ripfath, and Togamah. The sons of Javan were Elisha, Tar- Tarshish, Kittim, and Dodanim. From these were the coastland people of the Gentiles were separated into their lands, everyone according to his language according to their families, into their nations. The sons of Ham were Cush, Mizraim, Put, and Canaan. The sons of Cush were Seba, Havilah, Sabta, Rama, Sagbakta, sorry, Sebtaka. And the sons of Rama were Shema and Dedan. Cush begot Nimrod. He began to be a mighty one on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said, like Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord, and in the beginning of the kingdom of Babel, Erech, Akkad, and Kelna, in the land of Shinar. From that land, he went to Assyria and built Nineveh, Rehoboth, Ir, 
Kala, and Resen between Nineveh and Kala, that is, the principal city. Mizraim begot Ludim, Ananim, Lahabim, Nephtahim, Pathrusim, and Kasluhim, from whom came the Philistines and the Kaphtarim. Canaan begot Sidon, his firstborn in Heth, the Jebusite, the Amorite, the Girgashite, the Hivite, the Archite, the Sinite, the Arvadite, the Zemurite, the Hamathite. Afterward, the families of the Canaanites were dispersed. And the border of the Canaanites was from Sidon, as you go toward Gerar, and as far as Gaza, and as you go toward Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, Zeboim, as far as Lasha. These were the sons of Ham, according to their families, according to their languages in the lands and in their nations. The children were born also Shem, also to Shem, the father of all the children of Eber, the brother of Japheth, the elder. The sons of Shem were Elam, Asher, Arphaxad, Lud, Aram. The sons of Aram are Uz, Hal, Gether, Mash. Arphaxad begot Salah, and Salah begot Eber. To Eber were born two sons. The name of one was Peleg. For in the days of the earth was divided, and his brother's name was Joktan. Joktan begot Elmodad, Shelef, Hazmer, Hazm, that's this one's hard. Hazarmav, Hazarmaveth, Hazarmaveth. Goodness, Jera, Hadarim, Uzal, Dikla, Obal, Abamail, Sheba, Ophir, Havilah, and Jobab. All these were the sons of Joktan, and their dwelling place was from Mesha, as you go towards Sephar, the mountain of the east. These were the sons of Shem, according to their families, according to their languages, in their lands, according to their nations. These were the families of the sons of Noah, according to their, their generations, in their nations, and from these nations were divided on the earth after the flood. We're going to stop here. Um, we're going to stop here. I think it's a good place for us to stop, in part because um, we we usually end at uh, we usually end at eight thirty with our reading, so we're about a minute ahead. Um, but also because this is a good place to stop, since we won't we'll go over time reading through Genesis eleven, and because this this is great because. We were able in this time to capture the story of Noah, which I think many of us are familiar with. Um, Noah is uh, a very popular character in the Bible. A lot of us, we, we've heard the story of Noah. You don't even need to be a Christian to know that. Um, even people who haven't grown up in church know the story of Noah. They know something. They, 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 know, they know about a flood. They know about an ark, some big boat. So they know they have some reference to the story of Noah. So I think it's really good that we we kind of just cover this part here and stop here because we've got the entire uh, narrative of of Noah, uh, his life and the role that he played in the story of God in the story of the Bible, um, the role that he plays in it. And we've captured all of it in one reading. So that's great. For those of you who are here for the first time, this is the read and rant. And and really the whole purpose of us engaging in this read and rant is to engage you in the reading of scripture. My passion is to see everyday believers read the word for themselves, like read the word in its totality, um, to read the word in large portions and swaths of text. Not just, you know, reading the verse of the day and then kind of just meditating on that verse, but to actually read larger portions of text, because I believe that every Christian, every Christian should read through the whole Bible. This is my, my, my conviction. Every Christian should read through the entire Bible. Um, and I'm showing you how you can get through a lot of Bible, a lot of scripture, which is 20 to 30 minutes a day. It's really a matter of discipline. It's not that hard. If we've got 20, 30 minutes to, you know, to, to tweet and to text and check social media, uh, we, we spend a lot more time doing that. And so um, 
yeah, we, we can we can do this, guys. We can read through um, these larger portions of text. Uh, when you get a chance, can you please let everyone know what Bible you're reading from? Oh, okay. Yeah, Shannon. Um, I'm reading from the New King James Version. Uh, that's the version that I'm reading from. Today's reading read is going to be a little weird, a little bit different. Not, not, not simply because of the content per se, but also because of the fact that I can't see anybody on TikTok. So all I see is zero viewers. So I don't see any of your comments. So if you're commenting right now, that's great. You guys can have a conversation with each other. But I was just checking just now and I'm, I am I can't see any of y'all. Um, so I can't see any of your comments, but um, I'm assuming you guys are all here. So that's great. As long as you guys are here, as long as you guys are getting it. Great. You're here. Let's talk. Let's engage. Um, and if you ever miss a read and rant, you miss, you know, a reading. If you want to journey with us through the Old Testament and we're going to go back to the New Testament and read through the New Testament again. So if you ever miss it, I want to encourage you to follow the font everywhere, the font everywhere. OK, the font everywhere. Um, Sherry, yes. The, the, the when, when we go through genealogies, they can be really painful because we're butchering their names. Even as I read them, I do the best that I can. But I know I'm butchering their names, so don't feel bad, okay? <laughs> don't feel bad if you don't know how to uh, pronounce some of these names. Because uh, let me tell you, uh, there are elements to our diction that doesn't even exist in the Hebrew language. And there are elements to the Hebrew diction that don't exist in our language. Like the... <sighs> we don't have that in the English language. So... Um, and so because of that, I mean, we, we, we're not actually pronouncing any of these names correctly, even as, as well as I've, you've seen me read or the best that I'm trying to read them. Um, they're still not pronounced correctly, but we do the best with what we got. Um, there's a lot here uh, to navigate through. Um, I know I don't have a lot of time today since I have a class to teach, but I want to share. Uh, I want to share some thoughts. I want to share some critical thoughts as we are navigating through the book of Genesis. Remember what we talked about before, which is that Genesis, especially when we read Genesis 1, we read it as if it is the story of God's creating of all things, which is a very myopic perspective because Genesis is not the book of creation more than it is a book of God bringing order to chaos. Okay. I want you to understand that. So the theme of Genesis, you know, the beginning is it's, it's a new beginning to God establishing order on the earth and instituting that rule on mankind, on human beings. There are things that the Hebrews, remember, I told you when we read Genesis, this is the Bible study part of the reading rant, okay? Um, when we read Genesis, we have to read Genesis through the lens of the person who wrote it, not through our cultural lens. And we have to read it not only through the lens of the person who wrote it, but through the lens of the person who wrote it to the person that the writer was writing to. So it is for us, but it was written directly to them. So if we read it through our lens, we're going to lose in translation what the writer is actually trying to convey, the message that the writer is trying to convey. And so what happens is, is a lot of the arguments and the contesting that people have about the book of Genesis is rooted in the fact that we're forcing our culture on the text. We're forcing our context on the text. We're forcing the way we see the world on the text. And yet the way we see the world is not the way that the Hebrews saw the world. The Hebrews, especially ancient Hebrews who are reading this text, understood this text from a uh, supernatural perspective. 
one of the convictions that I've had is, is I've spent a lot of time studying. I study, I've studied the, the I've studied theology. I've studied all the ologies. Okay. Um, I, I, I'd like to think of myself as a student of the scripture. I'd like to think of myself as a student of the text, but I'm more a minister of the gospel than a student of the text. But yet I still posture myself as a student. I'm always looking to learn and I'm always learning. I'm always learning the scripture. I'm always learning and, and, and gaining insight and understanding. But the more I study, and I, you know, as I've studied and as I've read and as much as I've understood, there was always a part, and I'm just sharing my, my, my heart here. So you, you, you see where I'm coming from. But there was always a part of me that felt that there was something missing in what I was reading. And so, and so, and, the, and part of the reason for that is because there were parts in the scripture that were difficult. And because they were difficult, I would just skip over it. Like, okay, wow, that was really weird. So the weird parts of the text, I would skip over and move on. And so because I would just skip it and move on, I would just, I missed out. And part of the reason why I skipped it and moved on because it did not fit within my experiential lens. Part of the reason why I skipped it and moved on was because it didn't fit within my cultural context. And because the language was weird and the language was awkward and the language sounded mystical, I would ignore it and move on to more theological things. And I, and if anybody would like to admit it, and I know some people, I know some of you guys are on, so you can admit to each other. But many of us did the same thing, and we do that today, where we're filtering the scripture through our understanding of the world. And so rather than looking at the scripture from this rich mosaic of Hebraic, supernatural, mystical understanding, and I know it's going to get weird here. I know it's going to get weird, but stay with me. When you understand how the Hebrews saw the world and you begin to look at it through their lens, then you understand that the text is about a bigger story. That the text is about a bigger thing. There's a, there are these profound implications to everything that they're saying. It's bigger than what we could ever think or imagine. If you do that in contrast to what we do today, what we do today is, is we have filters. If you're in, if you're in the United States and you have a certain political position, you will read it through that filter. If you're in the U S and let's say you don't hold a political position, let's say you want to be disciplined in your reading of the word, you still have a filter because as you're reading it, the moment there's something that you don't understand, because what filters do is filters extract things, filters, delete things. Filters remove things. Filters, filters take out the stuff that doesn't fit or doesn't work in the context that it's in. The excrements. And because we don't have a supernatural perspective on the world anymore. I know this is going to sound real weird, y'all. But because we don't have a supernatural perspective of the world and because we don't live with a supernatural awareness, even a spiritual awareness, we filter out the supernatural things of the scripture without even knowing. We filter out some of the mystical stuff we hear because it just doesn't fit in our world. That doesn't work for us today. And because it doesn't work for us today, we, we might as well ignore it because, you know, Today, we, we live in a, a cycle-driven world where we preach a psychological gospel. Stay with me for a second. And what I mean by that is, is that we preach a therapeutic gospel. You know, one where, and it's not to say there's anything wrong with Jesus attending to that dimension of who we are, but that's become central to our lives. So now 
what we have is, is we have the preaching of the gospel that really sounds more like therapy <laughs> with some Bible in it. Because now we're filtering the scripture through psychological therapy. Um, there are different gospels that are out there. Just let me rant for a second and then I'll get to my point. And these different gospels are simply different filters that don't really reveal the full gospel. Not that they're wrong. They're there, but they miss out on the big picture. Are you catching me? So if I live in poverty, my experience is suffering, hunger, lack of resources. And so I filtered a gospel through that. So my, now I have a suffering hermeneutic of the gospel. And so it's a gospel of suffering. In places where we seek rich, rich, you know, wealth and, and titles and promotion because we're not hungry people anymore. We seek to attain something else. We filter the gospel through this new prosperity lens. We call this the prosperity gospel. And while we're moving away now from the, because now we're realizing that the prosperity gospel doesn't work and that it's been a lie. And it, it, because again, we only saw a part of the gospel. So I say prosperity isn't in the gospel. It's that we preach the prosperity gospel. We put a lens and filtered out everything else. Now, we, we, well, that we, we also have a movement to what, what I would call an intellectual gospel. One that intellectualizes the doctrines of grace. But then when you filter it through, you lose out on the power that the doctrines of grace produce. So that's why you have guys who have good gospel theology, and yet they're pretty crappy people. They have good gospel hermeneutics but crappy people because they have an intellectual gospel. They don't have a full expression of the gospel. That's a travesty. It's a travesty because the gospel is the power of God. Did we not say that? Did we not read that? That the gospel is the power of God. So if the gospel is the power of God, stay with me now. Because what we're about to talk about in the next few, next week or two, it's going to be really, well, for the next week at least, it's going to make a lot of people uncomfortable. Because if the gospel is the power of God, and if the gospel points to God, and if God, and this is going to bother you throughout the whole Old Testament, if God is supernatural, then isn't the gospel supernatural? If God is supernatural, wouldn't the gospel be way bigger than just our therapeutic message of Jesus dying on the cross for our sins? If God is supernatural and he's engaged in this world, the gospel is more than just our suffering. The gospel is more than just our promotions. The gospel is more than just us being right about the doctrines of grace. So we have pontificators with no power because you got the gospel doctrine, but you don't have the gospel. I'm going to tell you something that's going to make a lot of our super heavy theological people really uncomfortable. In Revelations, when we read it, I hope somebody caught what we read, that the kingdom of God is not in word, it's in power. <laughs> the kingdom of God is not in word, but it's in power. What is the last epistle? Okay, I'm ranting, I'm sorry. What is the last epistle? The last epistle 
is the heart of man. You are the written epistle. You are the written epistle. <laughs> yes, there's a lot of law, but no grace. But even when we preach a lot of grace, we still don't preach power. And we wonder why the church has become so weak. Because ready for this, whatever is happening in this world is a projection of what is happening in the realm of the spirit. And the Hebrews understood this. They knew this very, very well. They were very aware of this. It's our small myopic perspective of the world. We've made this the reality when this, all this stuff that we see is a projection of the reality. The Hebrews understood this. They were very well aware of this. And they knew everything that's happening on this earth is manifested out of the forces at bay that are active in the invisible scene. That they're invisible forces and invisible intelligences that are operating behind the scenes. There are beings operating behind the scenes that whatever is manifesting physically has been as a result of what is happening spiritually. So um, it, we'll eventually talk about maybe this, the spiritual realm and Satan and demons because um, those things need to be understood to fully understand what's happening in this text. Satan, demons. Um, we we think Satan's a person. Satan's not. The Hebrews never understood Satan as a person. They didn't. The Hebrews knew that Satan just means adversary, opposer. Which is why the, the scriptures tell us that they were they were many Satans. The Satan, that Satan, this Satan. They were all driven by the force by a system that opposed anything God was for. So Satan is the opposite of God. That's it. It's an anti-God. And so Lucifer was driven by that force. We ask, well, is the, is, is, is the serpent Satan? The serpent was driven by Satan. It's an agent. And the serpent is Satan. Satan manifests in the serpent, but then Satan manifests in other beings. They understood this. Oh, Gary, we're going to get there in a minute. Is this why we don't see miracles, signs, and wonders? <laughs> Here's a short answer to that question, Gary. We do see miracle signs, and wonders. We choose not to see it. There are miracle signs, and wonders every day. And for those who operate in the spirit, they see it and they move in it. It still happens today. It's just that the theological Christians don't see it. Sorry, I'm ranting. We choose not to see it. We choose not to be aware. We choose not to move into that. <laughs> so we, we decide, you know, certain things just, ah, wow just by happenstance. Oh. Or we use terms like it is a miracle. We, we use terms like this was a highly unlikely event that occurred. And so therefore it is a miracle. Anyway, that was just my preface. And I have maybe 10 minutes to work through this. So let me see if I can. I want to make sure I preface all of that. Because now if you read through the Hebrew lens, you'll understand what's happening here. When the scriptures open up with the wickedness of man the wickedness and the judgment of man you have to understand yeah fatty coincidence that's another one coincidence right um the wickedness and the judgment of man this force this being this we'll, we'll use terms later on called principalities 
this wickedness that drove these men, the Lord sees this wickedness and he calls, you know, he, he decides he's going to destroy God incidents. Yeah, God incidents. He decides he's going to destroy all, destroy men whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing, birds of the air, for I'm sorry that I have made them. But then the scripture tells, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. There was something else. Hold on one second. There was something else I wanted to point out too. Mm, I won't get to it. Ah, uh, okay. We'll, we'll, we'll work on that another time. So we see the story of um, Noah, and you know Noah builds his ark. He builds his boat. How cute Noah! You know he will have Noah built the ark, and and uh, you know he's. He was a prophet and he was telling people it's going to rain, it's going to rain. And then rain came tumbling down, down, down and, and the floods came up and the floods, you know, and then the boat just kind of rests on the flood and he was rained for 40 days and 40 nights. And then he sends out a dove and then the dove, you know, he sends out a bird, you know, you know, everybody has their version of the story. He sends out a bird and then the bird uh, eventually comes back with the olive branch and then he knows, oh my gosh, there's land. And then he sees land and they all leave and then they live happily ever after. Um, That's not the story of Noah. <laughs> um, there is a force at bay. There is something happening in the realm of the spirit. But there is an intertwining. Let me let me back it up. Okay, we're gonna back it up for a second. There's a the, the Hebrews. Remember, I said that there's a projection happening between the spirit and the physical. And so the Hebrews they they saw this as an intertwining reality. That the projection that they were that they were participants that is being made in the image of God meant that they were participants in God's ruling of the earth. And yet while there are, while they, you know, while Adam, mankind, human beings were called to rule the earth, there were also human beings who chose, right? Humans chose themselves over God, chose their rule over God's rule, chose to oppose God. And if you choose to oppose God, then you're being driven by the force of evil, that is Satan, the system. And these children of God, sorry, these, 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 these men who were initially called to be children of God are now being moved and motivated by a spirit, motivated by envy, by rage, by <laughs> that that knew they were the actual hands of God on earth. Yes. So, so now they're being motivated by now an opposer of God, Satan, agents of Satan. And now all mankind has been corrupted. All mankind is ruling in destruction. And ready for this? Oh, goodness, this is going to get me in trouble. Okay, hopefully I don't get into too much trouble here. Um, the earth now, as a result of Satan's activity, on the earth is causing the earth to devolve into the chaos that it was in when God was reordering the earth. There was a devolving now happening because of the rule of the serpent on earth. God instituted and established a new government in which it was not Satan who ruled. But now it was God ruling through mankind that they were, they were the images, representatives of God on the earth, enacting and instituting the justice of God on earth to now build out and to establish Eden all over the earth. They were in the business of reorganization. They were in the business of creating and establishing Eden all over the earth bringing order, bringing goodness, bringing, this is what they were called to do. And yet, because they chose their agenda, 
because the opposer does not care about order. The opposer wants to create chaos. And so now the earth is beginning to devolve into chaos because they're choosing their own agendas over God. They're choosing vengeance over God, God's rule. They're choosing their pleasure over God's rule. And, and that would make sense because if, if all life is given by God, if you oppose life, the result of that is death. The devil wasn't trying to kill them. He was trying to create chaos. And so now the earth is devolving, 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 devolving. And so when God says, I'm destroying mankind, thank you, Patty, you're going to see it now. This destruction of mankind was God's attempt to reset what he just did. God just brought order back to the chaos in Eden and now has called man to establish that order all through the earth. And yet they left with the spirit of the anti-God. Satan kicked out of Eden. And we see the result of that. This is what brings us to this text. Mankind following his own agenda, doing what he desires, doing what he wanted, doing what's good for himself, doing what pleases himself, seeking blood, vengeance, sensuality, all the things that pleases him is causing a devolution of the earth. And so God to institute his justice says, I'm going to have to wipe this thing out. When, um, when we read the text in, in Genesis chapter one, uncomfortable things, uncomfortable things. We see here when he says, you should have a flashback when you read um, what God says to Noah in, in Genesis chapter seven, in Genesis chapter seven, after the flood and the, the water subsided. And afterwards he tells him in Genesis, um, in, in Genesis chapter eight, he says to him, what? Then God spoke to Noah saying, go out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your son's wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing of all the flesh that is with you, birds of the cattle, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, so that they may abound on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out, his sons and his wives, his sons' wives with him, every animal, every creeping thing, every bird, and whatever creeps on the earth, according to their families, went out of the ark. But notice that verse right there, verse 17. He says, So they may abound on the earth, be fruitful and multiply. That sounds familiar. Have you heard that before? Genesis chapter one. Genesis chapter one, verse 26, when he tells Adam and Eve, at the time they weren't named Adam and Eve, they were just man and woman. Adam is actually not a name for those of you who don't know. Adam wasn't his name. Adam, Adam, Adam just means mankind. And, and so Adam became his name and then Adam gave the name to Eve after the fall. Funny thing is they didn't have a name until the fall, but that's another conversation for another day. But we see now this word be fruitful and multiply. But we saw this before we saw this in generation in Genesis chapter one, this is a reset but it's a reset of a reset because the word be fruitful and multiply is the same word that they would use for replenish as the enemy keeps bringing in chaos and chaos and chaos. And we see the earth without form and void. Stay with me, family. Darkness was upon the face of the deep and the spirit of God hovered over the waters. Then God said, let there be light. He was bringing back order to chaos. Then he tells Adam now, I'm giving you rule over the earth, be fruitful and replenish the earth. Fill the earth, subdue it. 
be fruitful and multiply, replenish the earth. Now we come back to Noah and in Noah chapter, in Noah, sorry, in Genesis chapter eight. Now he says, be fruitful and multiply. He's telling him to replenish the earth. From Adam, now comes a new Adam. Noah is the new Adam here. God's been here before and before. (laughs) And yet every time God brings order, Satan comes in and brings disorder. Now we're getting to my point. God brings order. It's like, why did God kill all humanity? Humanity was killing himself. (laughs) Why would God be so vengeful to just flood the whole flood, the whole earth? Why why would he do that? If if he's a loving God, why would would he do that? God loves his creation. We're the ones destroying the earth. He's actually trying to restore mankind. And part of his grace is in restoring all mankind. He's calling men to do that along with him. And yet he needed to find one just man. And there's that man, Noah. He finds Noah. He tells Noah to build the ark. He gives Noah these specific instructions. He tells Noah to do all these things. And he says to him, build this ark, put your family in it. But notice, Noah is just a participant. I want you to see how the Hebrews see it. Noah is just a participant. He's participating with God. He's not doing his own thing. Okay, I heard from God. Let me do this. He's participating with God. That is that the forces of good, there are two dimensions here. There's the physical dimension of what we see, and there's a spiritual dimension. The forces of good now are coming on and competing against the forces of evil. This was not about the people. This was about what's happening between Satan and God. Between Satan and God. Between Elohim and the council of demons. Noah is just a participant in the battle. For a lot of us, We make it about us. We make it about what's happening on this earth. Do you not know that this is just a projection of a battle that is happening in a realm that we do not see? We are just participants in a greater story. And sometimes we make it all about us, not realizing that there are things that move us and motivate us, that we're being driven by spirit. We're being driven by by principalities. You ever notice that certain regions have certain ways that they feel? All you need to do is go into a city and begin to see the principalities that rule that city. Everybody starts acting the same way, dressing the same way, doing the same things, wanting the same things because they're being driven by a spirit. There are spiritual elements at Bay that are competing and contesting against one another. The grander story is what's happening in the realm of the spirit. We are simply participants of that story. So we must choose then who we're being driven by. That's, you know, um, it, it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk a little bit about that, um, JJ, because it's, 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 You're going to see it. You're going to see how this participation works. You're going to see as we read. But I'm giving you perspective here. This was not about God hating all the people who sinned against him. And because he hated all the people who sinned against him, he caused the flood to kill all of them because he was mad at them. That's not what this is about. This is about God's creation. And God restoring all things and bringing things back to order. This was not about the people God hated. This was about his creation. Okay. So now he tells, he tells Noah, be fruitful and multiply. He's reset things. He gives him the sign of his covenant. He resets things. And yet 
This story ends with a man who's seen as a just and perfect man, who he himself, it ends with him in shame. This story ends in a very anticlimactic fashion. Noah is this just and perfect man, righteous before God, who God would choose to build this ark, you know, and 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 we have this beautiful picture of Noah. We have this amazing picture of Noah. Like Noah's this is great man. Everybody's got a picture of a man with a big beard and all this other stuff. And yet, and yet Noah is left ashamed. The story ends with him in shame. He's a drunk. He's, we find him here in a drunken stupor. And we hear the story of Ham who saw the nakedness of his father. Um, That's another Bible study. Uh, I don't have enough time to teach that one. Um, when, When people say that he saw the nakedness of his father, they're saying that he was drunk and saw his father naked. That's not what that means. The Hebrews knew what that mean, meant. Um, him seeing the nakedness of his father was not them seeing his father naked. Um, him seeing the nakedness of his father, they understood that that implied an ancestral relationship. And so now this man is dealing with incestual brokenness in his family. He's he's a drunkard. He's doesn't it ends in a very, very anticlimactic way. You know, people say, um, you know. Why, why would he curse his generations? Why would he curse the generations after him? Why would he curse Canaan? Why would he do that? Why, why would he, just because he saw him naked, because it wasn't that he saw him naked, Canaan was the nakedness of his father. <laughs> well, the Bible tells us that. Canaan was the nakedness of his father. And that's why he had to cover him. And that's why they had to cover him. But anyway. Hmm. Um, if there's anything I want you to leave with as I'm reflecting on this scripture, I had to say all that to get to my point today. What well, the Lord has been speaking into me. <clears throat> is... There's a bigger story than us. What God is doing is bigger than us. And yet, even though God has been instituting, we're seeing now God calling Adam and Adam could not properly fulfill his rule and God calling Noah and yet Noah falls short. It ends with him cursing a whole lineage of people as a result of one of his descendants. He didn't curse Ham. He cursed the descendant, the nakedness of his father, and and them being his children under his son and his wife. And, and now this continues on and and now we see brokenness again in the family of God. That mankind is still broken. Uh oh, my Facebook just 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 crashed. That's weird. I say that to say this.
it's bigger than you. Like if there's anything I'm leaving with is it's bigger than, it's bigger than me. It's bigger than me. What God is doing is, is bigger. It's bigger than me. And what God's revealing is that his people were never good enough. Even, even when he instituted these people, God and his people, these people just couldn't get it together. They weren't good enough. They weren't good enough. And later on, we read about how Noah's being celebrated. He's not being celebrated because of his performance, because we see how his performance ends. It does not end well. And yet there's one who's finishing the story for him. Be encouraged, family. Because God is completing the story for you. Be encouraged. Because even when you start off and maybe you're in the middle and it's not going the way you want it to go and maybe you've fallen short on some things and but God is he's still working. He's still working through you. He's still working in you. And so now are we going to submit to the reality that our performance is not good enough? Are we going to submit to the reality that we aren't good enough? No matter how much we've achieved and accomplished, if we're trusting our own ability and if we're resting on our own laurels, if we're celebrating all the things that we're doing for God, is it not in him that we live and move and have our being? This is the question.